Acts 3:11 through 26. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy, the righteous one, and you asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name in the faith and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as all you can see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of worshiping uh, you here this morning, Lord, that you speak uh, in the stillness of our hearts, Father. So we pray that as we, as we come before your word, as we think on it, as we meditate on it, that the words of, of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts there this morning, Lord, would be glorifying and honoring to you. And ultimately, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts in such a way that we leave here this morning changed. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you haven't been to a graduation party or something like that in the month of May, you're due. Because the month of May is a month of celebrations in a lot of ways. Whether it's graduations, whether it's summer weddings, um, whether it's this or that or proms or things. All sorts of significant life things often happen in the month of May. And we do a lot of partying because of it. But what I've often thought about life is that often in life, the most significant things happen to us when we are actually least looking for them. When we are least expecting them or we're least or or unable to really recognize them, that's when sometimes the most significant things happen in life. And often it takes years of looking back to those seemingly insignificant moments for us to realize just how substantial and just how important they are. I can remember when I was working uh, at a neighborhood deli in college, and uh, I was just, uh, there wasn't a whole lot going on at the deli, so I went outside to sweep the parking lot. 
So I was sweeping the parking lot, you know, sweeping these little cigarette butts from everywhere into the little, you know, uh, container. And someone who I knew approached me and said, uh, while I was sweeping, said, you know, you really ought to apply for this job at this church that I know about. And I said, well, okay, I didn't think much of it at that moment, but I went ahead and followed his advice, and ever since then, I've worked for churches, all because I was in that parking lot uh, sweeping cigarette butts that day. And often that's the way life works, isn't it? Life is full of these moments that often seem very insignificant in the moment, but after time, our eyes often become opened to just how significant those small things really are. You know, the Christian story, the Christian story about the gospel and about Jesus, who we believe is God who took on skin, God who became one of us, it speaks of how Jesus himself was was born into poverty. It speaks about he was born to uh, a young couple in the midst of kind of scandals and rumors and in the middle of poverty. It speaks of how he loved the poor and the marginalized in a town that nobody knew anything about or nobody really even cared about. Jesus surrounded himself in his ministry with a ragtag, messy group of men and women who really struggled to wonder what was going on the whole time that they were with him. They struggled to believe the very things that their teacher was saying. And of course, the Christian story tells us about how he was arrested and brutalized and executed as a common criminal. And then on the third day, it tells us that he rose from the grave, and instead of revealing himself to the world, he simply visited his followers occasionally in those 40-day period until the end of his time when he returned back into heaven, leaving his followers to really wonder what just happened. There's no question that he left his followers and those in the region all around there wondering what was going on, often with their heads spinning about the significance of the events that they just witnessed. You see, these first followers didn't have the scriptures the way you and I do. They, don't have, they didn't have thousands and thousands of years of theological and church history and thousands of volumes written about the theology of Jesus to rely upon. They were struggling to wonder what just happened in their lives and to make sense of it all. And really this book of Acts that we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks, this book of Acts talks about that. It talks about these first followers of Jesus with their heads spinning, wondering what just happened with Jesus. I mean, it really just happened days, weeks, months ago that all these events took place and they were trying to figure out the significance of what just happened in Jesus and what it meant for them and what it meant for the rest of the world and human history. Last week we saw about uh, Peter and John, who were two of Jesus' first followers. We saw Peter and John perform a miracle. They miraculously healed a man who the scriptures tell us was lame from the time that he was born. He had been a condition that he'd been struggling with his entire life. And after he was healed by Peter and John, the scriptures tell us for the first time he stood up on wobbly legs and started walking around. But quickly those little first walks came into jumps and leaps and loud singing as he ran throughout the temple, singing praises to God for the fact that he had just been healed. He was the, our, our passage this morning tells us that, which happens right after that miraculous healing, it tells us that he was actually clinging to Peter and John, that he wouldn't let go of them because of what had just happened to them. And it says that everyone who saw it were absolutely amazed. 
They were filled with awe and wonder at, a, at what had just happened. It was a miracle. You know, the Bible's full of these miracle stories. If you, if you read the Bible from start to finish, if you've ever done that, you'll know that the Bible's full of all these miracle stories. From Jonah being swallowed by a big fish to uh, Moses parting the Red Sea to all the countless miracles Jesus performed when he was here on this earth. The Bible is actually full of these miracle stories, really, from start to finish. And often many people have a hard time believing that those miracle stories really happened. You know, ever since the Enlightenment, which was a period in human history a couple hundred years ago, people have really struggled with believing in the miraculous. You see, we, provide, uh, we, we pride ourselves on being dominated by our reason and by our intellect and by uh, all the scientific theories and all the things that we understand. We really pride ourselves on those things. But whether we have eyes to see it, the miraculous actually happens around us every day. We just don't always notice it. See, we, like, we don't think that happens anymore. We're dominated by our reason and our intellect, but really the miraculous happens around us every single day. You know, for six years, if, if you know me at all, for six years you know that, that I, I worked at a church out in, um, in, in the middle of Howard County. But I never actually moved out to Howard County. So every day I would commute from eastern Baltimore County all the way out to Ellicott City in Howard County. Sometimes I'd have to do this twice a day. And if you've ever driven the Beltway for, before, you know what an, an incredible challenge this was to commute to work every single day. Almost every day, sometimes twice a day, I would have to sit in bumper-to-bumper bumper traffic, often in the hot sun, on Baltimore's Beltway, which was considered to be one of the worst Beltways in all of the nation. And often, uh, these accidents would happen, right? Where there'd be a, a fender bender or something like that, and that would just snarl traffic all that much more. And I can remember thinking one day, sitting there, uh, about this idea of miracles. And I actually believe that miracles happen every single day on Baltimore Beltway because there are not more accidents than what there are now. Now think of it for a minute. Everybody's sitting there in their cars, frustrated, Everybody's angry. Everybody's hot. Everybody's annoyed. Everybody's fighting off the road rage. It is miraculous that there are not more accidents and all-out fistfights that happen on the Beltway every single day. The miraculous is all around us. We take for granted as normal what is actually the miraculous providence of God that we witness every single day. We call these things ordinary, but really they are quite extraordinary. But often there are times in scriptures where you see God working outside of the boundaries of what we would call normal, his normal providence. And he does very extraordinary things like healing this lame man. But there was always a point to it. Whenever Jesus did this or whenever one of his followers did this or whenever God did this in the Old Testament, there was always a point to these miracles. C.S. Lewis said, God doesn't shake miracles into nature at random. As if they were in a pepper shaker. There is always a purpose behind them. And often the purpose, especially when Jesus' first followers performed miracles, and when Jesus himself performed miracles, often they were ways in which Jesus authenticated or confirmed the very things that he was saying. Now I could stand in front of you today and I could say just about anything. I could stand before you and I could say that I am a linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. And you would look at me, and you would look at my body type, 
and you would scratch your head a little bit and wonder if I was really true about what I was claiming. But then what I would do is I would take you out to the football field and I would show you my incredible prowess at being a linebacker in the game of football. And that would authenticate my claim that I was this all-star football player for the Baltimore Ravens. You see, the miracles that Jesus performed and many of his followers performed were just that. They were authenticating signs that were meant to tell us something. They were events that Jesus used, often in very powerful and climactic ways, to demonstrate that he indeed was the person whom he claimed to be. He was not just an ordinary man, but he was God who had took on skin and lived among us. In the case of our passage, this miracle provided an opportunity to tell those who'd witnessed it who Jesus really was. You see, Peter and John were very careful after this miracle to stand up and say, it's not our power that did this. It's not our spirituality. It's not our great resume as these apostles of Jesus Christ. But it is literally the power of Jesus Christ working in and through us that made this happen. And what Peter does is he uses this miracle to help us understand the significance of the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, an event that these people that just saw this lame man healed, an event that these people had just witnessed with their very own eyes. Peter uses this occasion to tell us really four things about Jesus Christ that you see in this very quick sermon that he preaches. The first thing he wants us to see is that this person, Jesus, is really the fulfillment of everything that we see in the scriptures that we have in front of us and in the scriptures that those had in front of them at that point. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You see, at this point, Peter is preaching this sermon uh, to the Jews. He's, he's, he's preaching this sermon to the Hebrews, the, the people of ancient Israel, and this is who he's speaking of. And their most sacred text, their most sacred thing in their life were the Old Testament scriptures that you and I have in front of us today. And what Peter is saying is that those scriptures that they held to be most sacred, uh, those scriptures reveal a God who is not only present to their father's And not only present to their grandfathers, but who is present with them now and today. Those scriptures speak of a God whose name was Yahweh, who entered into human history and entered into a relationship with a very specific people. Those those scriptures contain stories about prophets who who foretold about a time when a true king would come, a king that everyone longed for, a true king who would come and make right everything that had gone wrong in this world since the fall. And what Peter is saying is, is that this Jesus, whom was just crucified, this Jesus was that God. He was that God that they read about in the sacred, the sacred texts of the Old Testament. He was that promised king that they most hoped for. He was that promised king who would come and usher in the kingdom of God, making right All the things that had gone wrong in this world. He is the climax of this great story of redemption. He is the one that they had been most desperately waiting for. And he is the one that you and I long for at the most deepest places of our souls. 
But what Peter reminds them is he came in a very, very unexpected way. Verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ would suffer, he thus has fulfilled. What Peter's reminding them is that this king did not come in pomp and circumstance. He didn't come in all his glory and power and ability, but he actually came to suffer. And that leads us to the second thing Peter wants us to see, and that is Jesus, this person of Jesus, was innocent, yet he was crucified as a common criminal. Verse 14 says, But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murder to be granted to you instead. See, the Scriptures tell us that that all of us bear the corruption of sin in this world. Sin is really anything that we may think, say, or do that, it is in, that is in rebellion of God's perfect plan and his perfect design for our lives. And the scriptures tell us that each one of us has chosen to go on our own way. Each one of us has chosen to rebel against God's perfect will and his plan and his design for our lives. And all of humanity, every person that has been born since Adam and Eve, is born guilty with one exception. Jesus alone was the only one born to humanity who could call himself innocent. And yet, and yet, even though he was innocent, he was treated as a criminal and he was executed on the cross. The gospel story tells us that when when Christ was executed on the cross, it was customary during that time period to release uh, someone who had been arrested. So uh, Pilate and the officials of the day put Jesus before the people, thinking that, that he would be the one, because of his innocence, that he would be the one that would be released. But instead, the angry crowd cried out for a man named Barabbas to be released in his place. What we know about Barabbas is he was a murderer. He was a convict, and yet he gets the release that Jesus deserved, even though he was guilty. What it does is it foreshadows in a beautifully tragic way the gospel itself. And that is that you and I stand before God condemned, yet Jesus stepped in and he took our place. He suffered as a servant while you and I can experience the freedom from which we do not, the freedom that we don't deserve, but he himself deserved. Peter also wants to see that Jesus is the author of life who was killed and is now alive. It says in verse 15, And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. You know, the scriptures teach a lot of things that we can't really figure out. There's a lot of mysteries involved in there, a lot of things that are hard for us to really understand. And one of those mysteries is God himself. We can understand what he's revealed about us, but there's still a lot of very mysterious things about him that we in our finite human minds can't really grasp and understand. And one of those things is that Jesus and God were eternally present in the past and eternally present in the future. They are beyond time. But what the scriptures tell us that we can't really figure out, but we we trust the scriptures and what they say, is that Jesus was actually present at the very beginning of creation. And that he is actually present in, this, in the origination of this thing called human life that we have. That in the very formation of life in itself, at the very beginning, Jesus was present then. And that he is considered to be the very author of life itself. Yet again, in a very beautiful and tragic way, 
the very author of life, would have to give up his own life on the cross for us. He would offer his life up so that you and I could experience the spiritual life and experience eternal life, the very things that we had lost because of our sin. But because he was the author of life, the grave could not hold him. And what we just celebrated throughout the Easter season is that death could not beat him, the grave could not hold him, and on the third day, he was risen from the dead. And this is what Peter wants us to see. But lastly, and maybe the most important thing about what Peter wants us to get, is that Jesus offers forgiveness for us, and he offers refreshment. Verse 19, Peter says, Repent therefore and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. You see, Jesus did all these things. He suffered as a servant so that you and I could be released and forgiven for our sins and so that you and I could experience this sweet thing that Peter calls times of refreshment. You know, if you know me long enough, uh, I'll confess this to you, but I really believe it's something that's true of every person on the planet. And that is, I think, every person on the planet struggles from time to time with wanting the approval of other people. I actually think that's part of what it means to be human. Maybe you're a people pleaser. Maybe you feel like you're enslaved to kind of other people's opinion or whatever it might be. But I think all of us really care deeply about the opinion of other people, especially those people who we care most about. Maybe you're a student and you're finishing up your semester and you're really hoping for the approval of your advisor, or you're hoping for the approval of a professor in the form of a degree or, the prof- or in the form of a grade. Maybe you're a teenager here and you're hoping for uh, the approval of a cute girl that you like or, or somebody that you're really attracted to. Or maybe you work for a major corporation and You've had to give a presentation and you're, you're hoping desperately for the approval of some investor in which you need to further your business. You see, all of us in all sorts of circumstances want the approval of other people. And often what happens is it comes to a decision point. It comes to a point where we either realize that girl's going to reject us or accept us or that professor's going to give us a passing grade or a failing grade or we come to a point where, where the, we, we, we hope that investor chooses to invest or maybe he rejects our proposal. In every one of those circumstances, it comes to a decision point. And at those decision points, we either get the approval that we most desire or we'll get the thing we most fear and that is, will be rejected. But when you receive that approval, you feel like you're on cloud nine, don't you? Once you receive it, you no longer need to strive for that person's approval because you have it. It's been secured. You now have that approval. You no longer need to sweat and toil. You no longer need to lose sleep because you have been approved of. And the truth is, the gospel tells us the very same thing is true of God. Because in Jesus, we receive the approval that we most desperately desire. In a relationship with Jesus, we find that all the sin and the corruption that we bear is actually wiped away by his sacrifice. And we receive the approval of God. 
We no longer need to strive for God's favor. We no longer need to work hard to make it all happen. We can stop worrying about trying to build our spiritual resume and make ourselves look right before God and others. We can stop being, being concerned that our, our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds. We can stop being concerned about what we might say to St. Peter when we get to those pearly gates about why he should let us into heaven. We no longer have to fear the disapproval of God because we've received his approval in Christ. And we can enjoy the refreshment and the rest that comes from knowing that we are approved by the God of the universe by knowing that it's that that we've received the approval of God not because of anything you and I have done but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf and when we I believe when we really come to terms with that approval when we really come to terms with the fact that we are kind of cosmically approved in Jesus Christ and we have the favor and love and affection of God, then we can handle just about anything that this life may throw at us. No matter how much we may fail in this life, no matter how much we screw up, no matter how much we struggle with the disapproval of others, we can be refreshed in knowing that we've been approved of by him whose opinion matters most in this world, and that is God himself. And all of this can be available to you and I. All of it is offered to us in Jesus Christ, and Peter shows us how we can receive this gift of God's approval. He says, turn to him in faith. Verse 16, and by his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And what the gospel story tells us is that just as this lame man went and and bear-hugged Peter, just as this lame man clung to Peter and John for his very life and his very existence, the gospel invites us to cling to Jesus in order to receive the approval of God. And when we cling to him, the miraculous happens in us. And you and I are taken from a state of spiritual death and condemnation to a place of spiritual life. One of my favorite miracle stories in all the scriptures is another story about a lame man. And it was about a lame man that was brought to Jesus. I've probably preached on this before. Uh, it was a lame man who was actually brought to Jesus. And there were so many people around Jesus that they, they couldn't get the lame man in to see Jesus. So, so they made a hole in the top of the roof. And they lowered the lame man down right in front of Jesus. So that, so that Jesus would use his miraculous power to heal him from his infirmities. And Jesus looks at the man and he says... Your sins are forgiven. He looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. You see, I I laugh at that every time he sees that, every time I see that. Because really that lame man didn't go to Jesus to have his sins forgiven. He went to Jesus for what? To have his legs healed. But you see what Jesus knew and what we learn often in the gospel story is that the most miraculous thing that happened to that man that day was not that his legs were healed but that his sins were forgiven and he was made whole before God. You see, the same miraculous offer is presented to you and I today that we can be made whole in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
That even though we are messy, even though we are sinful, even though we do not have life together and we're full of mistakes and frailties, we can receive the approval of God the Father because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And that is made available to you and I in faith. And every time it happens, it is miraculous.